Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. God knows your lonely souls God knows your lonely souls So tell me about steaming first up. If I had the money, I would get a little steam room in my, my oh, house. I know the accessibility of that yes. is never likely to come true, no, but I, what are the the mental and physical benefits that you found from doing it? Uh, it's just one. Of, it's a routine that I have every day where it's just every of, day, pretty much, yeah, just to uh, clear clear the cobwebs. <laughs> and then does that get you set up for work, or do then do you have another ritual? Before uh, no, you then that's my sort into... of general. Well, it, 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 I like it to be my morning ritual, but it tends, which it tends to be, so I can set up the day. So I go for a, I have a steam and a swim, and you know, um, clear my head and then start. But it's also the wonders of when you smoke and stuff that uh, it helps clean you out. I'm on day six of trying to give up for the hundredth time. Yeah, I have know. you ever I managed tried, to quit for any extended no, period? I, I tried earlier this year, and I tried to do a dry January and give up smoking. Well, I, I find the two have to go hand in hand for me because I can go say a week or two without a smoke, but then the second alcohol I, yeah, hits I my lips. Terrible. I just no, I just I tried, but it was loose. like literally going completely cold turkey, and it just slightly backfired so you um, still enjoy a drink and you're at a healthy point with that with alcohol mm. you've got a nice healthy relationship yeah with, yeah yeah i mean you know yeah nowadays. i don't really drink i only i only I, I i sort of don't have a major palate of what i drink anymore because the sort of days of drinking spirits djing and touring is sort of over really so i i like a 
glass of Prosecco. Nice. <laughs> but that's probably more the fact that I like sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, I've found that sugar's my new vice at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I'm it's a... just endless, though. The vices are just endless, you know. And what well, once one is gone, it's usually replaced with another, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I think diet-wise, pretty good. I, 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 I you know, I, I have a pretty, you know, generally quite a plant-based diet, but I do like a bit of meat, but uh, not particularly heavy on that front, you know. Um, and a lot of wheat has gone in the last, you know, in the, you know, over the last sort of 10 years. Yeah, that's some of the worst stuff, isn't it? Well, I had to stop. I drank, I stopped drinking beer because of wheat originally. And that sort of then became quite a thing of a lots of other alcoholic things. But also just, you know, I don't really, you know, it's funny when you think about, you know, here we're such a sort of, we're such a, well, I suppose generally such a wheat-based society. But sandwiches, you know, I never have a sandwich at lunch or, you know, I very rarely sort of have a pizza or something like that, you know. Anyway, there's my, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm sort of pretty, uh, I sort of like to have a balanced thing. I'm not too extreme. Everything in moderation, yeah, as they yeah. say, right? Well, I'm not too extreme. I'm extreme with lots of other things. but <laughs> Not what you're putting yeah, in your body. The wonderful sort of, not the slightly, well, I suppose for me that the nocturnal side of my life is very different now. You know, I spent, you know, 20 years hardcore DJing in, in clubs and that just got later and later and later and later and, you know. You'd start on a Friday and you'd finish on a Wednesday, that kind of lifestyle. And uh, those days are slightly over now. <laughs> it's a hardcore way to make a living. I'm nothing at like your level, but I do DJ a lot. I was DJing last night till two. And uh, it's just a very different existence to what you might call the normal, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's hard for people unless they've been in that pattern to really understand how isolating it can be as well although yeah, it's you're very very people. isolating it was i think a lot you know it it, it uh, consumed me with anxiety you know for a look for a long time which affected many other things that i did in my life i think it's uh you know djing is one of the greatest sort of performing whether you know you're in a, a, a in any sort of performing where the, the adrenaline and the experience can be incredible but you know if you're usually you know, unless you're in the sort of club world, most of the other performance worlds are pretty, you know, you're finished at a reasonable time. Even if you're generally in a band, unless you're playing festivals, you're generally finished by 11 o'clock. Well, the other thing with bands as well is they have band mates. Yeah, and you and have you a lot have of people, people around to share you. And you the, have the ride with. Yeah, and you have your crew and da 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 da. But, you know, from the age of 14, 15 to sort of my early 30s, I was pretty much on my own yeah. most of the time traveling. And whilst it was wonderful in in so many ways to experience the world and, and meet people, it also was every night you're meeting somebody new. And uh, that can be, you know, it can it it, it, it it it's a strange way of living. I think I think the way, you know, I think things also, you know, at the height of when I was playing, it was a very hedonistic time. You know, it wasn't a social media period. Of course, you're off grid. Photograph, you're off grid. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was part of part of the sort of, you know, a lot of it was part of the experience. But I think now, because DJing has become such a massive economic boom, you know, you don't have a Forbes band list. You have a Forbes DJ list. You know, when you when you look at somebody like, I don't know, the stats that I looked at last year where Calvin Harris made, I think, last year alone 50 million. The year before he made 190 You've and got, Aoki and people yeah, like Aoki, that. Yeah, Aoki, I think, did about 35 million. 
Stiploid 20 or 30, Tiesto 30. I mean, you're talking about a very different... And there's no overheads with that, is there? Not, well, I mean? not you're in the context. I think that's why I think that's why DJing has exploded in... Um... Do you need to get the door? Yeah. Yeah, no worries. Take a pause there. I keep all this stuff in anyway, James. Yeah. I like the, uh, the looseness. No worries, mate. See, most dogs take a little twig. She's got like uh, the full he's just like one br- <laughs> the log. A lot. He's just his way of showing off. Is this your first dog, James? Not, not. I had a dog when I was a kid. And my father's had dogs for years, but my first dog is an adult. I really want one. I haven't got quite the right lifestyle for one yeah, just yet. Yeah, it is amazing. Because it's a full-time I job, I isn't it? I wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't for my partner. Yeah. She's really very, very uh, routine and uh, very good. Thanks. Is that all right? Sorry about that. I'll see you in a minute. All right. Cheers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think... I think um, you know, it's interesting with the rise of DJing because it's that American thing that's kind of smashed it. You know, and it's that typical way that once America gets into things, they sort of take it to bigger. another level. It's always bigger, yeah. louder, you know, yeah. you know, more more pizzazz and everything. But I suppose with Vegas, if you sort of think about Vegas now, which is this sort of DJ metropolis, you know, um, if you do Circus Soleil, I suppose you've got to put 350 million quid into investing into building the thing in the first place. You've got to pay insurance and you've got whatever as a cast of 150 people. Yep. One DJ. You know, do the math. It's pretty mad. But it has changed. It's changed, I think. I think that, I think social media, I think just when anything becomes that much bigger and much more commercial, the, the you know, it becomes more under the spotlight in certain ways. I think, you know, so, so I think a lot of the DJ culture has changed. And also I think that a lot of, you know, there's a huge rise of young DJs that have now, who are really sort of, you know, taken over from you know the the generation when i was younger that the generation were a bit older than me they kind of ran it for a very long time yeah it was like a closed door almost yeah, wasn't it like a know, private members club? yeah and you, you know whether it was the carl cox's or the pete tongs or whatever and it was very anglophile for a long time um and i think with the shift it's now become there's a whole new generation much younger it's much more multicultural and it's much more mixed in the sense that the rise of female DJs as well. But I also think with that, a lot of that generation, the hedonism isn't part of, this is not so part of the thing. Or even the musicology element, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether that's a disservice, but I feel like back in the day, it was a lot more about you're chasing down that rare record that no oh, one yeah, else yeah. has got. I think it's changed what, but I think that the parameters of what generally DJing is has changed dramatically. So most of the biggest DJs that have come out in the, in the last 10 years, decade, are all producers. Yeah, remixes and producers. Yeah, yeah mainly yeah, yeah. producers or, or artists, you know. And so the DJ sets are basically more based around their work. Yeah. I think for me, it was that wasn't the case back in the day. It was the DJ was sort of, 
most teachers didn't actually make music a lot of the time, you know. Because the technology wasn't really there as well, much, Well, I just think, you know, it was, you, had, you had the artists and you had the... De- you know, I think in a, in a lot of... If you go back to the landscape of a lot of creativity and especially the record industry and things, you just had a different kind of... There were different parameters. There were different things that people did. You know, record companies right. would have, you know, an A&R department, a video department, a, a, a design department, da-da-da, you know, it all... You know, and, and there was a sort of... Um, there was a whole kind of what's the right word kind of um different structure to how things were done and i think with djing you know djs tended to be very heavy musicologists you know so whether that would be as an example a norman jay or a giles peterson or a dj harvey or a you know francois kevorkian or you know as examples you know they tended to be generally just very much about you know it was it was very much based around the records they played and their ability to discover and break records um and i think now it's changed that most of a lot not not of course not all in in any account but a lot of what's happened in the in the 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 change in dj culture is that a lot it's very producer-led you know and so you'll go and see you know it's, it's more like john hopkins djing or which i'm not i'm not i'm not as an example you know i think he's amazing but you know uh, just different it's just different yeah. you know and but i also think that the landscape of you know there's a lot of you know for a lot of people there's a lot of money involved so equally i think but there's also a lot of pressure so i think one of the things that wasn't really you know when i started djing was at the thick of it you know you weren't talking about anxiety you weren't talking about you know addiction you weren't it, it was partying know, and coming down yeah and it was very right, hard yeah. and it was also very it was the very laddie male driven yeah. sort of but quite you know predominantly most of the dj big djs first came out of football in the, in the right UK. so it was a kind and of the culture that comes with that yeah so it was time. laddie you know and and so when you were a slightly alternative like i was it was quite a weird place to be you know i mean as an example i remember being there was a magazine called music magazine which was sort of blew up in the 90s as the big new music you know, DJ culture magazine, which had a, you know, which, um, and they had a, 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 in, in the back, they had a back page called hang the DJ. So if right. a DJ had done something, whatever, played a shit record or, you know, I got hung because I dyed my hair, you know, now if people don't, you know, if people haven't got a tattoo or haven't got dyed hair or whatever, it doesn't look, you know, it's, it's gone completely the other way. But I also think that it's also, you know, people are a lot more, you know, talk, going back to what we were talking about when we first taught, started talking, I think people are a lot more conscious of their health. Yeah. And if yeah, you're going to do really going 150 gigs a year, either. 150 gigs a year, and you want to also make records and as many, you know, you look at something like, look at something like Peggy Goo. I mean, you know, she's like now... The more, she's the, the model for Nike. She's getting a clothing company with the people that did Off-White. She's playing 150 gigs a year. She's running a, you know, a major Instagram account. You know, da-da-da-da, as an example. I don't know if, how much you can do, how you can manage all that when you're... On a hangover. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I absolutely. think a lot of it's changed. And I think, but all, and also just the fact that, you know, everybody's so conscious of, of their appearance and what, 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 um, and, 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 you know, the, the environment being, you know, because everybody's capturing it constantly. So, in a, you know, I think, and I think there's a lot of positives from that, but I also feel like, you know, like anything, and I don't want to sound um, sort of kind of backwards, but I think, you know, the glory days of when things were just that sort of period of the lunatics running the asylum, I think that's kind of slightly over, you know. Absolutely, you know. Yeah, even yeah. though you, there are places that you go where it's still got that amazing freedom, and just culturally, people are not 
so in your face. You know, it, it, let's say if you're in Berlin or I was in Tel Aviv recently, you know, it's, it's very kind of like it's got that feeling of, you know, 20 years ago. People aren't, want, there aren't cameras everywhere. There aren't, there's a, just a different kind of energy, you know, and it's very late and it's very sort of loose. You know, Loose, yeah. But you know, people are also equally when you're in Europe or or a lot, you know, or South America or somewhere like you know Tel Aviv, or whatever. People are also, you know, that it's culturally not a sort of binge culture, so you don't see that kind of. It's not as sort of, you know, messy. It never has been, you know. It's, That's a very British it's thing. Very isn't British. It? You see it when yeah. you're abroad, say traveling with a partner on your own, yeah, and you run into a group of Brits. Yeah, I had it recently in uh, Bruges in Belgium. And I was like, Jesus, is that what we're like? <laughs> yeah, no, it's fucking awful. I, I, I just, I try and avoid it. Like, well, it's not, it's a certain kind of British mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 not my thing. Um, and I think for me, you know, you know, there was a whole thing of I, I, as a sort of, I was, when I started and everything, you know, most of my career, I've always sort of been, slightly out of the box i never really you know i wasn't the lad part of the football lot and that side of it i wasn't street enough and hip-hop enough and gangster enough i wasn't you know i wasn't old enough i was you know i was and i think part of what i did is i just thrust myself so i you know it became quite competitive there was a very competitive atmosphere constantly within the music business when i started i'm sure it still exists now but it was very very hardcore and, and you specifically were, you know, from watching the Man with Moax documentary, you were a, a hustler from a very young age. Yeah. And obviously very driven. Yeah. Where do you think that came from? I don't really know, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, it's weird because I see the film and I look back and it's a person that I don't really know in the same way anymore. And um, I, I, I just had a certain kind of drive. And I think there was a, there was a naive, you know, I was really prepared to throw myself into the deep end on all accounts. And some of that was incredibly progressive and, and beneficial. And some of that was incredibly detrimental to me, you know. Um, so fear wasn't really an emotion back then, right? It was, it was, just, it was. but it was, of course. But I was, seemed to be quite navigate. I'm, I don't know if it's the Irish in me, but I was quite good at navigating through that. And, at the t and, and, and sort of, I've always been able to sort of, I, I've, I've had incredibly difficult ups and downs and I, I suffer a lot from depression. Um, was but, that always the case? Did yeah, you feel like out of step as a kid? Been, it has been, yeah, since I was a child, yeah. Um, and so I've, uh, but I've seemed to have, I've seemed to have some kind of quite weird wall that I've managed to put up. I don't know if that's from starting from so young, you know, when you're so young, you're thrust, when you're thrust into things, it's sort of maybe what's normal to other people isn't normal to you. I'm, and in many ways, I'm fine, you know, finding that's part of when you, you know, I think what, what happens and we're dealing with a lot of it right now with so many young people with so many problems, you know, and well, the pressure's on young people now so, as well, so man, prevalent. with Facebook and social yeah, media yeah, and, everything, yeah, yeah. and trying to present this perfect life. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, I, can, I'm, I think we grew up in the last age where young kids were actually really free from that. Obviously, there's always pressure and kids always are sort of mean and 
that's always been around but i think the internet and social media has really accelerated oh this. yeah no it's it's i think i i don't quite I, I wouldn't you know you think about if you were when you you know inevitably at some point being bullied at school and that was probably you know about six people that would be on your case yeah but then the you get home now, and you can escape it can't yeah you? whereas but now, now you no i mean if that that silly image of you know somebody's caught you in the wrong moment the wrong time you know somebody's taking a piss out of you because you're i don't know for like naked in the shower back in the day it was only a few people are going to see that if somebody now takes that picture and posts it then suddenly yeah. you know or you hear these you know horrible things of you know people you know kids having sex or whatever and the guys or the girls posted something i mean it's like that and everybody can see i think that that's pretty would be very i, I can't imagine oh, devastating i mean I, I deal with it because i have a, a 21 year old daughter so there are a lot of those issues that we have to talk about a lot and things that you know affect her from social media etc as i think most young people do um but i think for me i i being young i sort of developed this sort of kind of wall and the drive is always i i i, I i've still i'm still always driven to try and see whatever it is through you know um, against all odds yeah, kind of thing. yeah and I, I don't, I'm not sure what, where, you know, where it's come from. I mean, you know, at, at times I sort of look back and think, why the fuck did you do that? You know, what, why? Or, you know, and a lot of back in the day was, I think, just maybe having more time, you know, where, um, you know, when you're young, you don't really think about time. But that's also why we're sitting here. And that's part of why there's, you know, the records and what, what, what has been made for good or bad has happened in, you know, um, but I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's strange, especially looking back at my wax. I mean, I, like the film. It's like, did you I have don't much involvement in I the could, making of that? I, I, I did and I didn't. You know, I did in the sense that nine, probably about ninety percent of the footage is mine. Um, I, you know, I was. It, it was instigated by me with my ex-wife um, when it started, and. Um, and you know it's sort of it you know what's weird about it i think i think in the back of my head i never thought it was gonna be finished so it just kind of rolled along and on and after 10 years of meetings and discussions that this documentary is going to come out or let's do another bit more filming or da 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 da, da you kind of just think yeah ah it's yeah. never going to come out and then you're faced with this moment where it is and how you navigate that and i think that there was a point for me whether it was either it's going to come out in one way or shape or form or another, which I kind of don't have control over. And, and you know, that was a point where I didn't really feel the film was as good as it could. As, I didn't think it was engaging. Uh, it was a rough cut that I was, I was shown a few years ago. And, and then I kind of gave uh, Matt and Mac uh, a huge uh, load of boxes of old VHS and DVD that I'd shot over the years which then became most of the film. And that was a bit like Pandora's box because I didn't look at the footage because it was so, there was 800 hours of it. 800 yeah, hours, wow. Yeah, and uh, I didn't go through it, which I would recommend that if you do something like this in the future, maybe go through your 800 hours of footage. <laughs> um, but I think that there was also just when, when I saw the sort of, in the end, what it was, what it was really going to be, there was a moment of sort of, fuck, okay, do I want to do this? You know... I think for anybody to see them, well, it depends how narcissistic you are, but I think for most people to see yourself in any way on camera or on film in that way, it's always, it's weird. You know, it's not, it's a very strange thing. Um, 
and one has to keep reminding oneself that one's not dead as well because you know it's sort of you know a lot of documentaries like that are kind of you know posthumous yes posthumous yes. you know but equally i thought i thought from you know you know i have a filter system around me i don't i i i think it's important that you have people around you that you trust and i don't employ generally people just to be yes people you know i don't have that i i i I'm fortunate I work with a lot of people that I really value their opinions. And, and, and they challenge you. And they challenge things at times. And, you know, the, the, the consensus within my community of, you know, the, those that I work with and, and love their opinions was, I think this is important to, to do it as it is and not, you know, and I felt myself that, you know, there, there, is, there is a narrative, there is a story that's being told. It's not entirely exactly how you know to show my life over 30 years it would be 30 years of footage so you can't see everything and it has a it had a kind of narrative that it wants a story it wanted to tell because it wasn't made by myself and I, I wrestled with some of the narrative because as an example you know if you've got Giles Peterson talking about war stories to me it wasn't a record that was made for Giles Peterson so there is a narrative within the film that sort of come. It's very much based around a relationship with DJ Shadow. Yeah. And those were from that period of time, because the filmmaker that's his that's his glory vision of my career and how to get back to that. But in many ways, I've been trying to get away from that, you know, for the last twenty years. And so it is kind you of know, the, the central thread, you know, in a way, isn't it? Yeah. And but but when somebody's talking, you know, when somebody like if you had Trent Reznor talking about war stories, that would make sense because you know. War Stories was a record, as an example, that was not made for Straight No Chaser or Giles. Not not because anything against them, but it was it was a record that was made in the West Coast of America with Chris Goss and Queens of the Stone Age, and you know, and was you know, and became a record that really engaged with that. I wanted to move things into a different world and explore different things, and I think you know, and that record became really well received within that world. I remember getting a letter from, you know, an email or whatever from Trent saying it's my favourite record of the year. So, um, but I suppose also there's an element that you can't have, you know, within a film, you know, the idea is that it's not just everybody saying how great you are or, yeah, do you know course. what I mean? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. There has to be, and, and, and um, you know, I think you also just need to show human side. And for me, you know, my fears were that it was going to be that people would take what I felt negatively and that would be what people would really focus on. So what I felt as my failures, which I feel quite a lot of failures in that respect. And it's very know. honest in that regard, you know, isn't it? But also, you know, your sometimes your, you know, nocturnal behavior, whatever, all those things, you know, how people were going to judge that and, and your and what you've done in your career. And actually what was interesting is that generally people reacted completely the opposite to what I thought, which was that people really felt that it was a very, you know, it was, it was, um, you know, they, young, a lot of younger kids that I've, that have come up to me and talked to me, I just, I think just amazed about the experience as a whole, because I think what we've just been talking about doesn't exist anymore because this is pre social media. Well, the, the, the beginning of it and what is probably one of the most fascinating parts of the film is, is a whole period where it was no, there is no cameras in clubs. The reason that there is so little footage and why the 90s period of that film to me is so important and great, take me out of the equation, but all the other footage is the fact that the, you didn't let cameras come in a studio, in, into, a, into a club. It was like, cheesy, man. What, a guy with a big lighting rig and a fucking massive camera filming you when you were DJing or photographs when you're playing? It was like, 
that wasn't cool. The bands got photographed because they were on stage. You know, there's big light, you know, but clubs were dark predominantly and, you know, and you wanted to keep that feeling. So to see this kind of footage that was, you know, um, found and collated was, I thought that that's pretty amazing. So I think for a certain generation, they're seeing something in the same way that when probably you and I, when I look at a Clash documentary or, you know, even, you know, I mean, you can go back Led Zeppelin, whatever, you're like, oh my God, wasn't, look how amazing or, you know, I wish it was like that when we were doing it. I think there's a little bit of that. I think there's a an honesty. I mean, I you know, I got a really great um, Instagram message the other day from one of, you know, I, I she's one of the most powerful DJ managers in the world. You know, she's she managed um manages Swedish House Mafia and you know, she kinda made she kinda created the whole new wave of what we now call kinda call EDM and whether you like that or not, it's pretty what she did was pretty amazing. And so and just getting this Instagram just saying, I've just seen my life this is the most incredible thing. Thank you for being so honest. You know, I just want to say this is just so brave and, I, you know, da-da-da. And, I, you know, or, you know, I, I got the same same kind of message from something like I got it from, you know, the other day from Special Request. And, you know, so they are people that have, you know, from my generation that have lived through it and then the younger people. So I think... It's a story that's not really been told either, yeah, is it, before yeah. in a documentary way before. So I yeah. can imagine a lot of your peers would be like... Oh, wow, finally. And I think also because we are now, I think, you know what? I think if it had come out four or five years ago, it was, it could have been, it wouldn't, maybe it would been cool. Or that, I don't know if it would have had the same effect because what you are seeing, there is a generation shift. There are people that are dying. There are people that are, you know, there's huge issues with mental health, anxiety, addiction, you know, um, we're questioning all manner of sexuality, all of these things. And I think so that, you know, I think it felt to me, actually, I was kind of like, you know, it, when, when, it, when, I, when, it, when, it, when it came out, I was like, wow, actually, this is, a, this, is a, this is probably the right time for this story to be told. Whereas maybe if this came out a decade ago, I don't know if that story would have been seen in the same way because those questions, you know, it wasn't part, you know, culturally, I think we're much more sympathetic to the experience, you know, it's not like man up. It's like, oh my God, you know, for me, what you've got to understand is you're seeing a child. I was a child when I started, you know, you've got to remember that Moax finished when I was 28 years old, you know, and, and you're seeing, you know, that experience. And unfortunately the, the sort of, um, the cliches of, of being part of a very, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a very colourful, but can be very dark industry at times, you know, and, and, and something where you, you know, you get eaten up and you get spat out and, Often you know, by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I think that, you know, and then the snowball effect after that of actually, ha you know, not, you know, you know, because when everything, when you're young and you have great success, what tends to happen is that you don't do all the other things that, everybody else does so you don't go through you know you don't have much time to grow you lose your childhood you know you don't you don't you know you've got loads of money when none of your mates do so you're either then supporting them or you're alienated from that environment you know you're 
you're kind of, it's like Benjamin Button, everything's backwards, you know. So when everybody's 30 and they're starting to get their shit together and their careers and da-da-da, and they're having maybe about, you know, starting to think about having a family and da-da-da, you're already fucking had a, you know, you, everything's already happened. You've already got divorced. You've already done your money. You're already... How old were you when you became a father? I was 23. Wow. So that's know. young as well, yeah. isn't it? so, you know, pretty much as science fiction was happening. So that was yeah, yeah. added in that mix was very complicated. And, and believe me, you know, my daughter is the most amazingly important thing in my life. But it was it was a difficult thing to, to juggle the career that I had, not, you know, as a DJ, as a, as a as an artist, as, a, as running a label, as um, as being a father, you know, all of those things all at one all at the same time, mm. you know, whereas most people's lives are quite spread out. And then what happens is you, you get to sort of, you know, your 30s, you've kind of and, and you're it's a snowball and you realize. I don't know how to drive. I don't know how to, I don't even know what my bank account is. I don't know. You know, all of the things that are kind of normal to people. Oh, how do you turn on a fucking washing machine? I don't know. You know, and it sounds silly and, and, and but it's actually really debilitating, you know, which is, what, you know, for me, what I think is so important to, you know, with kids and to give kids time, but also what's important now is you really need to just learn the basics so that you can handle, you know, to have, to, to know sort of life life skills before you're thrust into some media spotlight. I mean, I you know, I feel for like, you know, you look at sort of Justin Bieber at the moment, you look at Salima Gomez, I think she spent more time in rehab than she spent doing, making records all going. I mean, it's like, it's not healthy, you know. And you can have all the money in the world, but it's, it you, you know, it, it becomes very destructive. And I don't think that in the end, I, the irony is it doesn't make you happy because you're completely alienated, you know. And I'm not, I was never on that, that level, that extreme, but, but I didn't have social media, you know, so I don't know what it would have been like being what I was then with social media. That would have been an interesting mix. Maybe, maybe I would have been more conscious of decisions because that was right in your face, or maybe you would have just been like so many other people are at the moment where you're sort of living this extraordinary dream, but it will, it's very house of kills with everything because now it's so extreme you know success is you know you know when i'm I, you know making a couple of hundred grand in the 90s okay it was like making maybe a million quid these you know now you know you peak people are making tens and tens of millions hundreds of millions you know? regular people as yeah, well like yeah. people who just have reality a youtube page I mean, well look or... at look at the kardashians i mean it's extraordinary that a 21 year old girl is worth a billion dollars well, no, no it's not, it's not talent. I don't mean that negatively that a 21 year old girl should not have a, a billion dollars don't get me wrong yeah 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 at all but in the sense of what it, it is bonkers but it's bonkers in, in also in the context of what it's how it's what it's what it's come from and everything it's it's mad you know and the sort of installation that it has on the youth as well well then, like, then, the rep- then so then the problem is that all these kids don't think they can achieve because because the bar, you know, the bar for me was, you know, my bar was first would what be... What was your goal when you well, started when I now started, going to clubs, you know, knocking on be, doors to get DJ sets? Well, first it'd just be to get, to get a, you know, work in a record store and be able to play a record in a club. Just do anything to be able to play in a club. You know, or in a sound system or whatever. Just be able to play a record to people. You know, then it would be, you know, to get certain people to come and buy records in your shop. You know, to build relations, just anything to try and build a relationship. So, oh my God, you know, when I was in Bluebird, I'd be like, oh my God, Pete Tong's coming or Paul Oakenfold, like, you know, can I, you know, anything to be able to, that, you know, that was the barometer. You know, then, then the barometer would be, I'm, you know, to, to, to get a residency. Then the barometer would be to, um, 
to basically uh, start putting some kind of you know like have a label or go and work for a record company you have a label like I did with Moax might the you know the most important thing for, I remember one of the most important things ever for me was getting Giles Peterson to play my first record on radio that was all that mattered that was it and I'm so 18 it was a very organic yeah, gradual yeah. and obviously those then start building, building. and then you yeah. sell you know and then you sell 10,000 records and you're like oh god wouldn't it be great to sell da 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 and then you know and then that's when it was and then you suddenly start a million records and da 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 and you've got the deal and da 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 and it's like the barometer's changed but it was you know there was a sort of a lot of it was very organic and a lot of it wasn't this sort of thing of worldwide takeover and sort of you know it was the com- it was very community based in the sense that it really you know I remember we'd always laugh it's like we didn't give up no, no, no disrespect but you didn't care about getting in the enemy you didn't care about you. You didn't care about any of that stuff. You didn't care about Radio One or the Enemy. You cared about the the the, 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 the because I'm coming coming from a more dance music background. So you know, it's that all you cared about was the things the the you know was the DJs that were playing your records or the magazines that you know the, it was the Face or ID or you know or or Blues and Soul or whatever. But 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 you know you were it was kind of very much culturally based on your environment you know and so there was kind of a ladder of steps that you took I think now you have this thing where there isn't much of a ladder I mean look look back at some of our greatest um, performers in the UK ever you know you look at you know David Bowie you look at Elton John you look at Queen you know they didn't happen in five minutes no Kate Bush you know Kate Bush didn't happen after three records Bowie I don't think happened until about five and I don't think Elton John happened until about five. And I'm not saying whether I love them or not. I mean, you know, I love, you know, but, but, you know, I actually do. But, um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that these people that we look at as these, you know, the people that have changed our lives, that have the, the, some of the greatest talents and, 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 and some of the greatest records ever made. And they took time. Whereas now it's, incredibly quick isn't it you know and I, but i but i think also and over I was, incredibly yeah quick in and over incredibly quick. Well, yeah. and equally for me i think part of i my career that was what started to start happening when i started really you know at the you know when sort of my wax changed and went to xl and all that stuff you know trying to you know trying to do a, a take over the world with a record label in three years is very hard when you lost all your artists, was that heartbreaking and crushing that you'd built this? Oh yeah, I mean it was. But I didn't quite and... understand. I think you know because when I was at A and M, you know when I when I was leaving A and M because I was going to go to Ireland and the big thing was they we had autonomy and our own offices and you know da 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 they wanted to get rid of all that and just get rid of all my staff, move me into Ireland and you know run it as a kind of you know little island subsidiary. Yeah, I didn't want to do that, you know, and and I was sort of. You know, Osman, who's in the film, who I'd signed to at a and and my manager, Steve Fyler, at the time, were very of the sort of fact, oh, don't worry, we'll get the catalogue back. It was da-da-da-da-da, you know. You know, Shadow will, you know, will go against Ireland and he'll, you know, stand up and we'll get, you know, we'll, we'll all we'll all be okay. And it wasn't. And um, I don't, I just didn't understand. I was very young, you know. I was 24 years old and and... and you know the dream you didn't you didn't think the dream was going to end and it really ended very quickly you know and then going into excel i i think you know the 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 band kind of split up really you know and 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 in that way and and the sort of the the machine kind of got broken and and the 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 media changed its tone on what you were doing and everything sort of 
went you know went the it just didn't didn't quite work and every time you try and sign an artist you know um a major label would 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 I try and do it for five times the amount so I tried to sign a lot of bands to my works at that time that I just couldn't in the end you know and I also was sort of I sort of I think because of the fallout with not being able to have the artist that I had it affected me very emotionally and also there was this amazing new rise in club culture with clubs like Fabric opening and you know I was very heavily involved in that and I think you know and 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 that side of my life kind of took over a bit and there wasn't there wasn't sort of you know my manager partner at the time had kind of was focusing on other things that he was doing and wasn't focusing on my label and I think so the headmaster kind of left the building and so the you know the it, it, it kind of became a kind of you know there was the focus left and and you know it was over very quickly and I and I, and, and and unfortunately you know that was I, I walked out of Mowax and I and I and I put it to bed, which I that's something I regret because I I, I sort of wish that I'd been given some time to realise what was what was happening and what I was going you know what I was doing, but I'm but I but equally you know I was pretty uh, I suppose I was pretty maybe quite uncontrollable character I don't know you know um, and you know I I, I it, yeah it was a, a strange very strange and, and difficult period and I think that I didn't and I think that loss that sort of that feeling of um loss when you know you know to be able to grieve I never got the time to grieve and 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 that basically created a snowball of where I have ended up today and um some of that's very positive and some of that hasn't been you know I mean it's funny with Excel because whilst I whilst again when you see in the film it talks about this huge loss the irony is that the, the the two people that I hired to Mowax in the end of who were working with me on Mowax, one one of Nick who worked there signed Adele. So, you know, my my influence, you know, was has very much shaped, you know, and financially benefited those who invested in me and MIA and Dizzy Rascal. So those those things kind of shaped the way that, you know. A lot of how that record label became and also in many ways I think XL became once Moax was out of their way, XL sort of took on that that idea and and sort of, you know, um became what you know, the the the, the what what maybe Maybe Mowax could never have been that because would have I have signed Adele or would have I, if I had, would I have made would have you know, with Nick, would have I made the record they'd made because Moax was very much a what it's 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 brilliance is also what kills it because it becomes this very close you know what it's very open-minded and it suddenly becomes kind of close-minded because everybody wants to it becomes a community and a kind of you know a, a gang type thing and to break out of those things and be like you can't be commercial don't do that you know do you know what i mean yeah, it's like absolutely. it's hard you know there's a window isn't yeah. there of just perfection yeah. where all ingredients and elements are just exactly right yeah and, and it, every it great label last. was like that yeah and it's whether they break factory out of that or, or not yeah well factory didn't survive you know would factory have then gone and signed you know a pop act to survive london records could you know but you know all you know you look at virgin you look at Ireland, you look at you know you know atlantic they all started out as very culturally sort of um, identify purist, right? purist yeah. labels. And then there comes a point where maybe they have, you know, tubular bells or, you know, I don't know, as an example, the island made Bob Marley, I suppose, even though, you know, he's still kind of 
the ultimate hardcore artist in many ways. But it goes stratospheric. And then, you know, then the next minute, you know, Virgin is Spice Girls and da-da-da-da-da. And I think Moax, with its identity, that was part of its problem. In many ways, why it's sort of, I've, 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 I've sort of left it, in many ways, a sleeping dog's lie because it's sort of a cult, it's, it's sort of a bit like a band and it's sort of, yeah. you try and replace the lead singer when they've gone or whatever. It's really difficult. It doesn't kind of, seem the same and i don't know if i don't know what would have happened if if if, if i would have gone down more of a you know moax would have if it if, if it would have if it had grown probably it would have had to expand it in a much broader way i think and whether or not i would have done that or not probably not at the time i was pretty hardcore yeah you know ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's amazing in the documentary, one of the things that the film points out is that nowadays everybody has a clothing collaboration, their own make of sneaker. But back then that wasn't done by anyone before you, right? Not really in the music business. No. To have started that legacy, if you want to call it that as well. Yeah. I mean, that's what's interesting because it sort it's of touches cool. on that in the film. It doesn't really go. I think sort of DJing and that side of things, it doesn't really go into... Um, in great detail but um, yeah I think that um, science fiction is the blueprint to most of most modern you know especially urban records that would I don't you know the Kanye's the Pharrell's the you know the you know you know pretty much every hip-hop major hip-hop artist right now well actually you know I, I look you know Billie Eilish has got now a t-shirt coming out with Murakami you know it's like it's not to say that those things haven't happened before but there'll be you know like you say I mean in pop especially and hip-hop and urban, it's a pretty major landscape for how records are released, you know, and especially people like Kanye, you know. There is the, the you know, and in many ways, actually, the records sell the merchandise line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back yeah. in the day, the merchandise was just a nice, was a nice bonus, mm -hmm. but the records, you made money out of your records, you know. And I think now, you know, um, the three, the idea of a whole 360 thing, you know. Same way with, you know, DJing, all these things. I mean, I... I I think that egotistically I was 
right there at the forefront of all those things i think um but it wasn't a, it wasn't it, it yeah it was thought out in the sense that i wanted to do these things and join these dots and but it was incredibly difficult and it was you know i mean when i started doing toys with science fiction and stuff like that i mean got absolutely slated in the music press you know what because it was seen as corny or something well it was just seen that it wasn't about music it was all about all right. this other stuff you know um to me it was just all culturally went hand in hand but i think that was coming up from a tribal way of growing up with music and i think and it makes me laugh that people right? sort of say that image you know back in the day when you'd read an article and people would say oh it's all about the image i'm like but isn't it's always been about the image whether it's from rock and roll to blues to hip-hop to soul every you know there's a soul boy image there's a hip-hop image there's a rockabilly image and you know that's you know there's a there's a goth image that's what was in like what, that was package. great yeah 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 the full package and and so the idea to to create those things within you know to, you know coming from the world that i did seemed kind of logical to me um but i think i was very much there at the beginning but i think also i you know there's a sort of build and destroy mentality that i grew up with where you kind of get to a certain point and you move on you know you don't want to keep repeating yourself and so for me there was a point with streetwear and all of that sort of stuff where it again it became it, it, I moved away from it at a time when it, when it really exploded. And I've had a habit of doing that, unfortunately, mm -hmm. that I seem to have left the building right at the moment than that, you know, that things have happened. But then maybe that's allowed my career to grow, to be what it is in many ways. I don't know, you know, if, if, if I'd financially benefited out of things, maybe I wouldn't, I'd have a, you know, what would my life would be now? I don't know. Would I be one of those fucking, you know, wanky record execs maybe i don't know would i be would you know would i would i just be you know i don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of that stuff that i don't you know where people have become i don't like you know um and so i i don't know i don't know but it's funny it's weird to sort of have see sometimes sometimes i sort of look around and sort of see one's life flash in front of my eyes in so many different circumstances you know in sort of what's happening with a lot of contemporary culture you know from what we were doing, you know, myself and people that are around me were doing at the time, you know. Well, you must feel very liberated and free as a, a creative person because there's not many people who can list the last, like, you know, collaborators that you have on your vast back catalogue, you know, from Eno to Badly Drawn Boy to Josh Hom to, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And the dots, I couldn't see anybody else joining. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think there's lots of people that have done amazing collaborations. There's lots of um... even on that first record on science fiction, you've got what Mike D, yeah, Badly Drawn Boy. Who else is on that one? Uh, Mike D, Badly Drawn Boy, Atlantic. Ian Brown. Ian Brown. No, well, Ian's on. He's not. He was on the single after Tom York, Richard Ashcroft, Will Malone, Corgi Rap, Jason Newstead, Mark Hollis. Uh, and probably some others in there as well. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, it's pretty insane. Um, but there's so you know there's so many more that I'd like to work with. Is there the list is still? Yeah, of course. You know, unfortunately, there's a few that are not with us anymore. But there's a lot of young, great. I mean, the, you know, there's this constant that constant thing of really great new artists coming out constantly, and 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 people that have, you know that you want you know that have inspired you that you want to. So there's quite a breadth of generations of people that one would well, like I've to Well, I've noticed with. that, actually, is you've got the kind of legends and then you've got the people who are sort of, I guess, like 
synonymous with a certain scene and time. And then you've also got, as you say, these upcoming, fresh, exciting new artists as well. And it all sort of works together I I, yeah, as one. I, I, yeah, I hope so. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. What's the Kubrick connection? Uh, Kubrick connection is that I did an exhibition. I, I, I was a huge fan of Kubrick as a ch- as a kid growing up. I, I um, managed to get his details when I was when I was when I recorded Lonely Soul, and I wrote to him to try and get him to do a video for Lonely Soul, in which his assistant told me to that it was very interesting. Why don't you give me give him a shout back in six months after he's wrapped this film called Eyes Wide Shut? He passed, so that never happened. And I'm sure it would never have happened in the first place, but it was quite an interesting yeah. story. And uh, and uh, you know, fast forward a couple of decades, and I was asked um, by a mutual friend of mine because I was putting on these daydreaming exhibitions where I was having sort of art and music collaboration going on. I um, was asked by a curator friend of mine. She was like, "Look, my friend runs the Stanley Kubrick Estate for Warners, and would really love to talk to you about. It. They want to sort of they want to open the doors." And they want some people, you know, somebody to come in and help them sort of look at what they could do with, you know, contemporizing things and da 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 da. Is this like a first? Huh? Is this like a yeah. first? Like yeah. they've been under lock and key for X amount of years and now they're ready to and, share. Yeah. Wow. And so I went in and I was asked, you know, they, I was, I met Con, who was running the estate at the time for Warner Brothers, Warners, and um, I just put on a daydreaming show, I think, in Hong Kong. And I did the show at Haunch of Venice in London. And uh, he kind of, I was originally sort of asked if I wanted to do some kind of Stanley Kubrick based live performance. And I sort of said, I, not really. I thought it was a bit, you know, I, they were already doing the sort of 2001 classical performance and stuff like that. And I felt a bit, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. But I, what, I, what I really would love to do is what, what um, I've been doing with Daydreaming, where I'd get different artists from different you know, worlds, whether it be, you know, from music to painting to sculpture to film, you know, yada, 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 and um, put on a show based on these people interpreting his work. And I'd do it if I had the blessing of his family. And so I put together a proposal and um, Christiana loved it, who is his wife, yeah. who is an artist. And I worked on it for five years and eventually it happened at Somerset House and it was about 60 or 70 artists involved from totally across the board from example Anish Kapoor to Mick Jones to where the track Kubrick on the new record comes from to uh, Toma uh, from Daft Punk to Mark Quinn to Matt Collishaw to Joseph Kasuth to Gavin Turk to Sarah Lucas to you know the Wilson sisters I mean it's pretty extraordinary experience I mean that's so many people involved you know um and yeah, it was sort of one of the, my creative highlights, really, and also to sort of have a, an, a little bit of access to their world. And I spent time with Christiana and um, interviewed her, and and spent time at the house. And I ended up recording a lot of stuff at their house, music and stuff. Um, and yeah, it was you know, and and to be then told by Christiana once she saw the show, because once I. You know what she, she all she said to me is like don't 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 um you know t- please stay away from the whole kind of conspiracy shit because it's absolute bullshit and it's like please just leave just try and leave that alone and to 
really don't try and over-intellectualise everything. Like, I'm so over-intellectualised by the Kubrick world. And, and just be free and do something which is different and, you know, and sort of break the mould and engage with youth culture, you know, and, 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 uh, and which was a great remit, you know, because yeah. that's what I wanted to do, you know. And you're exactly the right person for the job. And thank God somebody has gone into that world and done that because as a huge fan of his work, he was such a cutting edge, exciting, amazing filmmaker, and it's been so stuffy, intellectualized. Yeah, and... yeah. And she was just like, "I'm bored of that," you know. She was like, "I just been to LA, and you know, we did some big thing in in LA, and people were, like touching me and crying and da da da." And she's like, "God damn it, you know, it's like it's like making films, you know. Mm. That's just it's about you know making stuff, you know." And uh, and so I, you know, it was weird because the day the opening of the show she came with Jan her brother who is his producer who is also very supportive of the show and I had this moment I just thought fuck what she doesn't like it <laughs> you know because I sort of ended up what you know I, I was working with his legacy but I had that she sort of became the person that I wanted to I wanted to sort of give this back because she was an artist she's an artist you know and and from talking to her I realized you know so much she had so much involvement in the in the in, in a lot of the the art side of what went in into the process. So she was there mixing paint in the sink with Douglas Trumbull, or or you know putting paintings up in all the houses for the scenes in Eyes Wide Shut, or you know as examples, or you know so her you know she had this you know there was a very involved process with her husband of of of, of you know um, certain elements of design within the film. So. I really wanted, I really just, it's, I, she suddenly became the muse for me of what the show, I wanted to give back and be this sort of, I wanted her to, to feel that I've celebrated their work, not just his, you know. And uh, it was one of the most rewarding things for me ever when she was asked what she thought he would have thought about it um, for a documentary. And she said she just thought it was amazing. It was the best exhibition she's ever seen of his, of, of, of the work of his work outside of what he'd you know of of really you know what he'd created but in the sense of she just said that I th he would have absolutely loved it because it was about you know moving things into a different place moving forward and that was what he was into you know so that was pretty pretty dope yeah what yeah. a great honor and yeah. what a great reward and that's kind of why you do it right is for mm. moments like yeah that. oh 100 it's not about yeah. the album sales no or... no Unfortunately, although, yeah, yeah. <laughs> although they are nice, <laughs> they, they are nice. Talk yeah. to me about Meltdown Festival, James. Uh, uh, how did you yeah. get that offer, first of all? Uh, well, I'd been I'd sort of. It was weird. I'd been asked. Um, that's kind of the climactic scene, really, isn't it? Yeah, in the, in the documentary, film, yeah, and it does yeah, feel like that's yeah. the point in the story when everything oh, is so kind of comeback. Yeah, moments, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. But like where old, not scores, but where old the bridges are rebuilt. Yeah. Yeah, I think definitely and was amplified the in the film. Yeah, yeah right. You know. So it was oh, definitely I'd seen Shadow many times dramatic before effect. Meltdown, you know, <laughs> many, many times um, as an example. But um, it works well in a movie, I yes. suppose. Um, it was interesting. I had been putting on these exhibitions. I split up. The band had split up in a pretty not great way. Gavin... Um, was not very you know was very unwell it had all become very difficult and i the, the business partner that i'd been involved with had 
I kind of got really shafted again, you know, and so I was in a pretty strange place and that sort of place of sort of thinking, what am I, where am I, what am I going to do next and where am I going now, you know, because that, because that is sort of, you, I think as artists sometimes you have these moments of like, is that it? Am I, have I done what I'm meant to do now and that's, you know, and I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've still got so much more to say, but maybe that's, you know, and uh, at least it's been a good ride. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'd, I'd been asked, we'd been doing, you know, as Uncle Live, we'd, we'd been doing these sort of, we were actually one of the first, it was us and Mass Attack were the first people to do the Heretic Orchestra shows. So the Heretics Orchestra first did, um, one of the main shows was doing Blade Runner with, with, with Mass Attack at Melt, their Meltdown. And then us, we did a classical versions of our, so, because we have so many string elements to our songs, we ended up doing these sort of classical shows. Um, and and um, we'd been asked to do one of the, they, they had a kind of, Classical electronic festival at Meltdown. We'd asked to do it a couple of times. I think Eno was doing it. You know, this was probably about five years before Meltdown. And this conversation had been going back and forth a bit. And then Jane, who ran, who was the contemporary, um, uh, ran contemporary music um, curator at the South Bank, um, basically, you know, had got in touch about, you know, seeing daydreaming stuff and we, you know, and what I was doing with music and da-da-da-da-da and thought, you know, we started having this conversation about why don't we do a weekend, you know, program a weekend, you know, we can do a sort of daydreaming show, we can do a classical uncle show, you know, you can curate it a bit, you know, a mini meltdown, you know, kind of vibe. And so we were talking about that and, you know, I came up with a lot of ideas and stuff and, and um, it's all very positive and da-da-da and it's sort of going back and forth and then um i was asked to come over and meet jude kelly who ran the south bank at the time and jane because they wanted to talk to me so i went with my my new manager and uh you know went went in and sort of thinking that they were going to maybe do this weekend or you know blah, 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 and and they sat me down and said look you know rather than the weekend sort of doing this mini meltdown we'd like to do a meltdown and it was like uh would you do it <laughs> it was like <laughs> It was Let me just, check my diary. Was, yeah, yeah, it was a, a sort of jaw-dropping moment for me. I'll bet, know? man. Um, and I think the stars, the planets aligned at the right time. I think that they'd been frustrated that they... That a lot, some of the shows over the last few years, I think they felt that the, maybe the curators hadn't invested enough time. They weren't present. It, and a lot of it had been American. And so the... not that I don't mean that in any negative way, but I think they wanted... To, it was the 21-year anniversary of MOAX. It was the 21-year anniversary of Meltdown. It, it, they wanted to do something special, and they wanted to do something which felt that it engaged very much with London, the much more London-based community. It wasn't... It, it kind of felt like it wanted to be a real London happening. Not that Meltdown isn't, but I think that just in the sense of... I Let's think they just knew home. that I was going to work yeah. my fucking ass off and give it everything and be present, be yeah. there. You know, and I was there for six months working on Meltdown. And, you know, it was a huge learning curve and it was incredibly uh, emotional and and lots of highs and lots of lows. There were a lot of people that I'd hoped that were going to play. You know, it's, it's funny because they always tell you, they're like, you'll do your first wish list. Don't get too down because you'll probably only get a couple of them. You know, you won't find it as easy as you think. So you're like, okay, whatever. Okay, so write a letter to Robert Plant, Depeche Mode, blah, blah, you know, Massive Attack, whatever, you know. 
and slowly you start seeing that things just you know and and then other people that are really enthusiastic and da da and it just becomes this huge giant puzzle but i tried to, i my whole thing with it was i was like i want to push every fucking part of this building that we can use to the to the limits that we can within the budget we have so you know it was i think it's probably the only time now that we that that really happened because we had the spiegel tent outside with dj harvey the first time there was a dj paid dj event where people were going to more like a club we had a club inside the foyer we had a an exhibit a moax exhibition in there we had a um an installation with doug foster we had you know we had in the in the in the car park in the bottom we had you know an event you know with with uh that was with wolf tone when they just started paul Epworth's label and glass animals and you know it, there was something going on everywhere in the venue there were nightclubs we did a night we did a club night outside of the venue with me and DJ Shadow in Vauxhall you know there was and it was literally like the whole place just became this sort of alive you know we had we had the Sunday come down session where it was like you know all day on the last day and in, on the Sunday it was you know Jerry Della's Acid Brass Band Don Letts me Secret Sundays Heat Horse Meat Disco you know um playing you know from from soul and reggae and hip-hop through to at the end acid house i mean the last record you know i mean the last record i played i think was higher state of consciousness you know and it was one of the most amazing moments where you know i got a text from my friend just saying look man i'm with my kids we're looking at you you're playing higher state of consciousness and right behind behind you is the houses of parliament you know we've won like you know we've taken over you know um that's a great i had right artists there. i had you know from people you know we have workshops you know from teaching kids how to use ableton live through to you know, talks with from Gavin Turk through to, you know, uh, you know, myself and Giles Peterson. It was really an amazing, amazing experience and, and a real coming together. I think that I think that for me, I, I'm not I never felt in the same way that the, um, really most of the previous curators are seen as as musicians, essentially, you know, David Bowie or Nick Cave or, you know, um, as examples, you know, um, I didn't feel that I was that to people. Um, but what I did feel that I could do is just m not make it so much about me, but my, you know, but this this cultural legacy that one had been part of, and and the influences of that legacy, and also contem the contemporary elements, and bringing that all together, you know, and 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 I think that 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 was what was special about that. It, it just felt like for a, for a certain group of people, and there's a lot of those people in London they that was they wanted you know that was our the moment where all of that stuff was celebrated you know and so it was um it was you know i i it doesn't get much better than that you know and also it's amazing to be able to to go you know rather than having to go to a festival or touring around to you know every day go to the royal festival hall to the south bank and that be your home you know and uh at that at that time they had the um they had the ins installation on the roof of the Hayward, which was the boat, which was like a hotel room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, staying in there and that was, you know, the best, probably the best view you could ever imagine of London, you know, um, and uh, just all those things and being there with, you know, all these people that I'd, you know, grown up with. Hadn't, a lot of people obviously hadn't seen, which is very cathartic when we did the Moax launch of the book and, and. You know, and doing the Uncle Show, which really became the sort of the conduit to me then wanting to make records again, because I think that I'd felt pretty pre-meltdown. I felt pretty down and pretty like, <coughs> um, 
I don't know. I just felt that people probably didn't. I didn't know who wanted to work with me anymore. I felt a pretty, pretty, pretty bit lost, you know. And then suddenly, you've got eighty people on stage doing an uncle show with all these people that you've, you know, from from Esker and Rosie Lowe and Keaton Hanson to the LCO to, you know, to Mark Lanigan. It was like there was just love. There was a lot of love, and it and it felt like okay, well, that's great. So maybe let's let's make it. It's time to start making another record and take that energy from what I've experienced here into moving forward, you know. And that was the birth of the road, was it? That was the birth of the road, yeah, yeah. And that's now going to be a trilogy, I hear. Always going to be a trilogy. Always, yeah. that was always yeah. the, the idea, right? So yeah. obviously part one's been out for a while. People, are Yeah, familiar I with mean, that. if you imagine it, so part one, I hadn't made a record for seven years. I wanted to make something that just felt concise, that felt like it had all the elements of what I like about Uncle, but didn't kind of be, it wasn't, you know. we A throwback. Yeah, but also, you know, no record had been less than 74 minutes, you know, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, a lot of sort of seen as very, you know, a lot, maybe to a lot of people kind of overly epic or whatever, you know. I wanted to make just something that felt concise, that felt like as a comeback record was, it was, a, I think, 48 minutes. Just felt like, okay, this is, and you know, let's start here. And also... I felt that in this idea of a trilogy, the first record would be, it's sort of a slightly going back to being a bit naive. It's sort of like leaving home. You know, I, I, in my head, I was thinking, you know, I wanted to do a kind of Joseph Campbell's, the hero's journey. I wanted to do my sort of odyssey, my home, you know, my, you yeah, know, yeah, my, yeah. my, that was, you know, my feeling maybe is this lone because I was on my own, this sort of Odysseus being on my own and having, trying to get the fuck home and where is home and all of those experiences because well, you've certainly got the life experience to pull from. Yeah, and I felt, so the first record was sort of like walking out the door and that sort of, you know, okay, here we go. You know, Wide-eyed excitement. Was, yeah, and then you get to the second record, which we've had, which is coming out now, tomorrow, um, which is more a sort of the, the, that journey of experimenting and trying things out and, get, you know, love and light and dark and all that sort of stuff. And um, Do you go through a lot of the, the highs and the lows again whilst making it? And was it a ride, just the recording process? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah was it yeah. draining on you? It has been draining, yeah, because I have had, there has been some um, family issues that I've had to deal with in the last year, which has been very difficult. And so that combined, you know, making part one was kind of pretty... Bit of a dos. Not, no, not a dos, but it was a very joyful experience. And it was like, wow, this is great. Making records is kind of doesn't have to be so fucking painful. Putting together this, this part two has been kind of a bit difficult, to be perfectly honest with you, because I've, um, because, and I don't want to go into detail because of what's been happening, unfortunately, with some, my family. And so it's been kind of difficult to, you know, mentally engage at times. And I also, I took quite a bite on where it's a double record and, you know, and you are, I, I'm a self, self sort of producing self um, funding artist and sort of trying to put all of the elements together. This time has been kind of a little bit, it's been a, a bit difficult. Did you think but it's also because I've had a lot of I've done a lot of other stuff. I've done like I've done seven projects in the last two years. So I've done the road part one, I've had a live record, I've had uh Trust, I've had The Man from Mowax film, I've had now this double album, and I've done another couple of TV shows. So I've done about seven albums in the last two years. So I think equally, you know, there's been a lot going on. And I think that um 
yeah, I'm sort of looking forward to get past this. Get I, you know. Also, part of it is I, I desperately want to. I kind of need to move on. Yeah, yeah. And some of this, you know, the, the road starts pretty much just after meltdown, and we're at this point now. And so a lot of the material on this record is is some of it's from way back at the beginning, and some of it's really new in the sense of when the initial <coughs> the initial the initializing the track would come from. You know, so you know, first time touch me go way back something like armor uh was started you know literally a couple of weeks you know a few weeks before i finished the record so you know it's it and, and i you know you're sort of trying to put everything together and you know and and, and get it you know i try hopefully to find some cohesion that's why because it was very eclectic the material i wanted to um i sort of in my head i visualized it more as a as a as more of a kind of radio show, more of a time lapse, more of a sort of mixtape that it would, you know, that it's sort of you're on a journey and, you know, if this is this middle period of life's journey, it's quite, life can be quite erratic and take you to all these different places. But equally, you know, I, I you know, I have a radio show that I've been doing in the last year, which is really... I was I going to ask whether that had kind of fed yeah, into it. Yeah, because it sort of takes you out of the club mentality with the club mentality. I much prefer DJing to a... A music fan rather than a dance floor. Yeah, I mean, I, I but I I like both. But if you're playing to a dance floor, you got to keep you got to keep it going. And yeah. and great DJs are people that can navigate between what I call ed, education and entertainment. So you break a record that nobody's ever heard, and they think they know it because they keep going, and you play something that people like, and that's I think that's yeah, it's like know. the old film. Trade but you off. are playing. You are essentially unless you want. You know, there are people that do enjoy. Uh, pissing people off when they play i generally like i like the crowd to go wild and yeah. i want that energy and, and and especially playing predominantly more dance music orientated things um playing on the radio just allows you to be really free and it's a different feeling and it's a different mentality and it's a different way of communicating and it's been brilliant and so for me to be able to apply that into the record i thought was important you know that mentality and so and i also didn't want to make this as a statement that it's like it's it is an eclectic record. That's okay. Let let me make an eclectic record and just look at it in a different way. It's not. I'm not trying to, you know. I'm not. It 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 is it is cohesive by the nature of the emotion. And I think sonically, it's, it there is a certain emotion that threads things. But it's you know it's it's more of a of it's more of a, a playlist. It's not uh you know it's not being made in the way that I would have made science fiction or, or war stories. You know, as an example. Um, and I think now, the, the, to me, the third part has always been about coming home. Wherever that is, right? Well, Are you still no, figuring but it Freudian, out, a Freudian way, I'm coming home because I've, I've sort of, everything I've had to come back. You know, I've, I've spent long times getting away and moving on, you know, in the sense that, you know, I, you know most of the albums that I've made were kind of different in the, the places they recorded and the, the environment and the people that was within them. So you look at a record from science fiction to war stories, it's quite a different environment. And Sonic, um, I think emotionally very similar, but but I but in the sense that I'd kind of gone out on quite extreme places, you know, I'd put myself in lots of different environments, and I think, you know, it's you do that, and then you suddenly start, you know, you, sometimes you can get lost, and you can kind of you're out there on your own, you know, and you want to you need to start kind of coming back to the things that make you happy or the things that you, the, the building blocks of why, you know, I think it's quite, a, I think it's part of age you know and experience and and i you know there are a lot of there are things that i never got to do in the beginning that i wanted to do you know science fiction 
became this record, but it became what it became. But initially it was going to be a much more soul based. It was much more in, in tune with what I was trying to do to Massive Attack or Soul to Soul or something like that, or Young Disciples than it was. But it just, these things just take a life, you know, and the life ended up being that you're working with Tom York and Richard, which was incredible. But I think that it would have been, you know, the originally, you know, it was would have been a different record, you know, in, in the way that it was considered. And, and, and when I put out my director's cut later this year, you'll hear tracks that I did with Tim before Shadow, which are more in that world. Um, and this has got nothing to do with anything about whether what, I'm not criticizing or the record. It's just the process of what happens. For me, you know, there are, you know, like recently, I, I, I did a track for um, uh, uh, an inspired by score for Alfonso Cuarón's Roma. And I did a track with Michael Kinn and Yuka. And, you know, where I've gone with that is like, I've always wanted to make a song like that. You know, I came from predominantly black music and you know I've ended up then I ended up having the biggest success I ever did with Queens of the Stone Age you know which is just quite a you know I think you know for most people's careers it's quite a you know it's quite a sort of um, it's quite extreme you know it, the, the connections are very much emotionally there's huge sonic connections and I can draw in all these dots I can put together why you know Josh and you know why to me Josh is no much there's not that much distance similar to massive attack or whatever but that's my that's how my brain sort of works but for most people it's like that's hard rock and that's that's what i was saying you know, earlier there's so few people that could join those dots yeah but i also now i'm sort of going back to where i can't you know i'm sort of trying to just go there's a bit of going back like you're sitting in my house now i live in you know a leafy part of west london which is very akin to where i grow up grew up I spent the last 20 years going as far away in the sense of yeah, visually, yeah. aesthetically from where I grew up as possible. So, you know, we're getting into the whole Freudian thing. But, you know, but for me, the third record is really about coming home. And that will be about, you know, in my head about there's a certain there's a record that I've wanted to make for a very long time that I haven't. And that goes right back to the beginning. So that's where, but it may not, who knows, but that's what is in my head. Do you feel like that's going to be the sort of culmination of everything that's happened so far, yes. musically and personally? Yes. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, I guess the big question then is, what's next after that? Indeed. Well, you a know, break what? or yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I like making stuff, and I, you know, but I, yeah, I I would I sort of I sort of want to, yeah I can, I can think that far at the moment above that I don't know yet I sort of do but I don't we'll see <laughs> when do you start so for it or have you started recording I've got I've started bits yeah. but I'm I'm also like I'm a bit burnt at the moment yeah, since yeah, I've done yeah. a lot and I, I want to I, I just I, I'm trying to live with what I've just done as well and take that all in and you know there is a constant thing with me that it's just constantly move move da, 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 da. and you see that in the film and it's sort of happening a bit again at the moment and i i just want to slow down yeah. a little bit if i can but i also would like i'd really like to tour more at the moment to be honest with you that's what i'd really like to do is just have a bit of time just traveling and playing that's where the songs live isn't you know it? i want to live with the songs because it's been so much about this work this new da, 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 da. and then actually you're just not getting to live with it and i'd just like to be able to live with it for a while because I also, you know, whilst I have an idea of what this record, I want this record to be, I think I need a bit of time to develop those ideas, you know. So we'll see. We'll see. 
James, what a pleasure, man. I My could talk pleasure. to you all day. Thank um, you. We'll have to do a part two when Definitely. three comes out. Excellent. Because uh, I'm good pals with Davy Catching and I've been to the rancho oh, and great, I'd yeah, love yeah. to get into that world oh, with yeah, you yeah, and hear about your experiences yeah, so there. But I think we'll, um, we'll close it here for now. Brilliant. Um, thanks for having me over and thanks My for being pleasure. such a great guest, dude. My Cheers. pleasure. Thanks for having me. Nice one. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.